the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, it's Tuesday, the 26th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being with us. Coming up on the program today, as you know, it's Tuesday. That means it's Carson Now Day. He'll be joining us at 1010 this morning. At 1110, we're going to talk to Joe Knopp. Joe is the lieutenant governor candidate working with Jim Renacci trying to boot Mike DeWine from office and put a true conservative uh, governor in the uh, governor's mansion in Columbus. And uh, we're going to talk to Joe Knopp about where that sits. Now, obviously, just days away from the May 3rd primary. Donald Trump came to town and ignored the governor's race altogether. Didn't say a word about it, didn't show support for Renacci, didn't show any opposition to Mike DeWine. We'll see what Joe Knopp thinks about that and uh, and what the chances are going forward. So Peter Kirstenau at 10.10 on just about everything. Joe Knopp at 11.10. So what, the, what does that mean for you? It means you've got plenty of opportunities to be heard here in this first hour. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers is just fine with me. You may also, and i got a bunch of them, and I apologize. Yesterday we were really diving so headfirst into the uh, Trump rally in Delaware from Saturday. <clears throat> that I neglected the sound off button and there's a bunch of recordings we want to share. If you don't have time to wait on hold or if you're listening to this broadcast on a uh, tape delay basis by way of our podcast or something of that nature, uh, you can still be heard. You know, uh, you can't call a radio show that isn't live at that time, but you can always leave a message for that radio show and they'll play it live when they come back. And that is what we have at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Go ahead and click the sound off button there and uh, say what you've got to say. And I'll play them, and I'll respond to your questions, I'll respond to your comments, whatever it is that you have. So I uh, really look forward to hearing from you in that regard. All right, so we've got a lot of work to do, to, to do today. And before we start celebrating 
the crying and the melting of the American snowflakes because they are losing one portion of their overwhelming monopoly on suppression and consensus, uh, uh, excuse me, suppression and censorship of speech. Not easy for me to say. Uh, they are flipping out. They still control almost all of social media's platforms, all of the servers, all of the companies that make these things possible, except one, and that is causing them to lose their you-know-what. So we're going to talk about that and celebrate it. But first, let's celebrate the liberty that comes with being in this great constitutional representative republic. I ask you to rise as a patriot. Face a flag if you have one. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are crying that there is too much free speech on Twitter now, that Elon Musk is going to let people speak way too freely, then you don't understand what this flag represents anyway. You're excused from standing and pledging your allegiance to it. Go ahead. Take your knee next to your favorite Marxist ex-quarterback. You know who he is. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It is, um, it is a remarkable thing to watch, to watch the American left cry. And admit that, yes, we believe that too much free speech hurts democracy. Somehow, too much free speech is a bad thing for the American people, for this republic. It's just a bizarre thing to watch and listen to, considering the fact that our founders, the brilliant forefathers who had a brilliant foresight... And the ability to anticipate things that would happen hundreds of years down the line made certain to protect our right to free speech with the very first amendment to the Constitution. The Bill of Rights starts with our freedom of of speech and expression. And yet the left is trying to convince us that that free speech and expression will be our downfall. That's what will harm us. And that's why they're fleeing from it. As if from a burning building. CNN's Brian Stelter, also known in some circles as Humpty Dumpty. And if you have never seen him because you don't watch CNN, look him up. You'll get it. Brian Stelter, yesterday on CNN, complaining about Elon Musk, the world's richest man, taking over Twitter, purchasing it for around $44 billion, finally getting the Twitter board to agree to that sale. His reaction was about as bizarre and and unbelievable as his reaction to the death of CNN Plus, the streaming service that CNN decided they would try. They put, apparently, hundreds of millions of dollars into it. It died in a month. Wait, what? How can that happen? It did. They pulled the plug on CNN Plus in a month after spending hundreds of millions of dollars and wooing Fox News, and I'm going to use this word in air quotes, star Chris Wallace to be one of their featured players on CNN+. Plus, It was so bad, subscribership was so low, they pulled the plug on it in 30 days. And Brian Stelter went to the CNN airwaves 
and declared, it's too early to determine if CNN Plus was a bust. (laughs) Is it going to be less of a bust a month later? A month down the road after that, when we get to August, is it still going to be? Is it going to be too soon to declare something that died in less than thirty days and cost hundreds of millions of dollars? At what point won't it be too early to declare that CNN Plus was a bust, Humpty? I mean, seriously, you talk about tone deaf. You talk about just complete unwillingness to to face facts. That's what you get from CNN. And by the way, that is why. And I love the fact that he doesn't understand this. That it's comments like that showing no depth of thought or awareness whatsoever. That is the reason why nobody watches regular CNN, on which Humpty appears. The ratings are so god-awful, so low, it just really, really makes one wonder what made the executives think that we should go ahead and put out another version of what we do and make people pay for it. Seriously. Nobody's watching CNN that's free, or at least part of your cable packages, you know, or your streaming services or what have you. But nobody watches regular CNN that doesn't cost a premium, and yet they thought they would get people to subscribe and pay a premium to watch the streaming version of it on CNN+. Plus. And it's too early to determine whether it was a failure or not. Well, now let's fast forward to unimaginable, uh, inconceivable, indefensible statement number two from Humpty. Um, Yesterday, Humpty Dumpty, Brian Stelter declared that Twitter under Elon Musk being a free speech platform means that it's going to be dangerous, saying, quote, it's like a party. I'm sorry, this is, a, this is a paraphrase. It's like a party with no rules. Who would want to go to a party with no rules? Well, I don't know what that means, by the way. I don't know what the part, no rules at the party means, but I do know that no rules on Twitter simply means people can speak freely without left-wing comment moderators telling them what is acceptable, what is information, what is misinformation, what is disinformation, what is regular speech, what is hate speech, what is harassment, what is threatening, what is racist, what isn't. Because if that's what you mean by no rules, then sign America up, because that's exactly what Americans want. You see, what I just described to you is called freedom. Not just of speech, but just generally freedom. I think it's an example of a broader question for Twitter, which is if you get invited to something where there are no rules, where there is total freedom for everybody, do you actually want to go to that party, or are you going to decide to stay home? And that's a question for Twitter users, he said. Some Twitter users might love the idea that there's going to be absolutely no moderation and no rules. Others might not want to be anywhere near that. You see, that's where you got thrown off there, Hump. You got thrown off by the word freedom because you don't know what it means. And the reason why is because you're a leftist. And so what leftist Twitter is doing right now, trending is delete Twitter. They claim they're running for the hills. They claim that they are getting off of the platform now that they no longer have the left-wing echo chamber in which conservatives are demonized, attacked with the same hate speech that he is now decrying is going to run rampant on Twitter, but attacked, 
uh, marginalized, suppressed, and censored. That's what happens to conservatives on Twitter and has been for a very, very long time. And now that Elon Musk is saying, no, we're not going to do that anymore. It's going to be a free forum. The left is, well, this is the modern-day version of the if Trump gets elected, if Bush gets elected, because remember they did this with Bush too, I'm moving to Canada. Now it's, if Elon Musk is successful in buying Twitter, I'm deleting my Twitter account. Who are you people kidding? Where else are you going to be able to show off your pronouns? (laughs) It's not in your Twitter bio. Where are you going to show your pronouns? Where are you going to show your XE and XEM and his mix and your uh, uh, your uh, uh, him, her, his, her, they, them? Where, where else are you going to show your wokeness if you don't have your Twitter account? You're not going anywhere. Who are you kidding? You're not going anywhere off the Twitter just like you didn't move to Canada. Every one of you lying leftists are going to continue to do what you have always done. And, oh, by the way, what did you tell us when Twitter was far left, just like every other platform, and we said we don't like being shadow banned, censored, suspended, expelled? You told us if you don't like it, go buy your own Twitter or go build your own Twitter. Go build your own platform. Well, somebody did. They bought one. Yours. And now they're going to convert it into something else, and here's the beauty of it all. If you don't like it, go build another one. That's it. Go ahead and go build another one. Now it's our turn. And the difference between us, lest you think this is a tit-for-tat, you did it to us, now we're doing it to you. This is the, the beauty of it, at least for conservative believers in free speech. We're not doing tit-for-tat. We're not doing the, you did it to us, we're going to do it to you. We're not censoring anybody. We're not suspending anybody. And when I say we, I'm talking about the conservative movement of free speech supporters. And I don't know, by the way, if Elon Musk is a conservative. He has been essentially apolitical, but he is a free speecher. He believes in free speech. That's it. But this is the beauty of it. This is what makes me feel great about who we are and what we are. We won't ban you as payback. We won't censor liberal thought as payback. We won't shadow ban. We won't limit your reach. We won't have comment moderators saying this is not true and putting little covers over it. Because we believe in free speech for everybody. Free speech for everybody. You can come on there and say the most radical left-wing crap that you can pull right out of the pages of the Communist Manifesto, and it will be allowed. And we can actually pull out pages from the books of scientists or scientific journals that say the COVID vaccines didn't work, and COVID-19 was not as lethal or deadly as you said it was. And we were supposed to melt, then we were supposed to freeze, now we're supposed to melt again. You don't know what you're talking about when it comes to climate change. We can say all of those things now without being canceled by your left-wing algorithms. So I want you to understand that as you melt down, and they are melting down. One of the best meltdowns, by the way, or at least descriptions, 
of Elon Musk taking over Twitter came from MSNBC's Donnie Deutsch. This is what they believe about free speech. This is what they think on the far left about freedom. They think it's quite literally evil. Donnie Deutsch, first, before we go into On Brand, your thoughts on Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Simple equation. I I don't know. To me, when the the richest guy in the world takes over the most important social media platform, that's just not a winning formula to me. It reminds me of old Bond movies where, you know, Dr. Evil and guys like that or Goldfinger were going to take over the media. That's that's the, that's the gold standard, not the gold finger. That's the gold standard of left-wing fear and propaganda. Elon Musk is Dr. Evil. He's doing the evil finger tent right now as we speak and just pondering, <laughs> how can I destroy Twitter? Is, is this guy for real? And the sad answer is yes, he is. He believes that. They believe that Elon Musk is evil and that bringing freedom... To a platform where censorship has reigned is bad for business. It's bad for Americans. They believe that freedom is a bad thing and that censorship and overregulation is a good thing. And that's all you need to know about the difference between the conservative and the left-wing movement. Nine twenty-seven. Now I want to give you a few more of the uh, meltdown responses that we are getting from the uh, far left. Uh, it, 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 I mean, some of these are just priceless. Max Boot, far left Washington poster. I still fear having Elon Musk take over Twitter is bad for democracy. It's bad for democracy, he said. Um, Joy Ann, pro democracy. Read is what she has in her Twitter handle. This platform is super useful as a news aggregator, a good place to follow journalists, thinkers, and interesting people not in the biz. But posting on here is often viewed by too many on the right as an invitation to harassment. That's the world Elon created at Tesla. If he really thinks he can create the same toxic high school bully 80s South Africa world here and somehow monetize it, he should maybe stick to sending compensatory technology to near space for his fellow men with more money and time on their hands than interesting ideas. Joy Reid believes that it's the right that is responsible for harassment on the social media platforms like Twitter. That it's the right. And it's just so comical because she herself, she herself has been guilty... You remember Joy Reid, right, from MSNBC? They found homophobic tweets from her from years ago that were literally disgusting, the kind of things that would ruin the career of somebody at, I don't know, Fox News, OAN, Newsmax, anywhere else, Salem. She actually got away with, somebody must have hacked me because I didn't write those, and everybody bought it. Or at least they just said, well, we can't attack her too much. Want to know why? protected class she's in a protected class she's a female she's african-american criticize her too hard get canceled be a racist be a sexist so she uses that while using the bully pulpit to harass intimidate and bully other people do you remember howard dean i would try to imitate the dean scream right now but i don't want to ruin my voice for the rest of the show because you'd have to do that howard dean has made an appearance Hi, Twitterverse. 
Many thanks, thanks for the knowledge and sharing over the past 10 years or so. But if Musk takes over Twitter, I will be off within a few hours. Might be just as well for my well-being, but I've learned a lot of valuable stuff from, from many of you. Thank you all, Howard. What have you learned, Howard? What have you learned from the leftist echo chamber in which conservative thought is censored? And that drove people like me away. I left Twitter voluntarily two years ago. And it had nothing to do with too much free speech. It was because there was not free speech. Things I wanted to post and say and share were, were shut down. Now here comes a guy saying, hey, Bob, you can share and say what you wish. And so can Howard Dean. And Howard Dean is running for the hills. NBC hack Ben Collins, quote, there are plenty of models for where this site is likely headed. I'm on those sites all day. I cover extremism and lies for a living. You're not going to like it. Other than being filled with death threats, racial slurs, and fake recipes for Play-Doh that actually produce napalm, the sites are simply unusable from a basic user experience level. Admins get bored of running a hell site filled with garbage and let the bad stuff dominate. Again, these people are literally... Not figuratively, not hyperbolically. These people are out of their own minds. They are literally not thinking lucidly. They are not thinking with, just not thinking. Maybe they have no capacity for thought. They literally think that all of the evil left-wing venom and vitriol they hurled at conservatives, unchecked for the last 10 years, is good for America. But if conservatives come in and not censor them... But just say we get to speak also, that's terrible for America. This is what they believe. I want to know what you believe. Now that it's going to change under Elon Musk, will you use Twitter? Will you go back to it if you left it like I did? Will you join it for the first time if you never did? I want to know if this is going to change your social media habits. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We'll go to the phones next on Always Right Radio. When the left's propaganda is the biggest threat to your health, get your booster of common sense and keep yourself sane. Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420. The Answer. 9.38 now. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer, and Always Right Radio. Heard online at alwaysright.us. Terrific stories up right now uh, at alwaysright.us, breaking down the inside and the outside of the Elon Musk deal to buy Twitter. The meltdown is glorious uh, from the left. There's some terrific examples of that. Brian Stelter, I just told you about. A federal judge has blocked Brandon from ending Title 42 for now which is, again, one of the very few things we have left to provide any security at all at the border. So that's good news. Uh, story on propaganda, Patty, on Hunter's business pal visiting the White House. You heard that, right? We talked about it with Jim Jordan yesterday. Hunter Biden's overseas business pal visited the White House 19 times while Joe Biden was vice president. 19 times, and yet Joe Brandon says he has no conversations with all, at all with his son about his uh, overseas business dealings. Also, Biden's bloody hands, the body of a Texas National Guard soldier, Bishop Evans, has been recovered. He was trying to save the lives of two illegal aliens. Might have been two drug runners, for all we know. He put his life on the line trying to save people who are making dangerous journeys across the border because Brandon has put out the welcome mat. That's Biden's bloody 
hands, period. And by the way, you want to hear another gem. A fake black guy. Remember Sean King? A fake black guy. He's white and he's pretended to be black. He's transracial his entire life. A fake black guy says that Elon Musk, an actual African guy, bought Twitter for white supremacy. Did you know that Elon Musk is an African-American? He spent the first 17 years of his life, he was born in South Africa. He literally is African, South African, and he's now American. He is an African-American, and uh, apparently he bought Twitter for white supremacy. You have to read these articles to make any sense, uh, see if you can make any sense of that. Donald Trump not going back to Twitter, uh, but now the Truth Social is, is up and running, uh, so that's good for him. Uh, DirecTV refusing to air advertisements for the rigged documentary that show proof of the um, theft of the 2020 election. So if you're still on DirecTV, I would have to ask why. And then one more on uh, 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 propaganda patty, Jen Psaki says that Biden is truly concerned about social media platforms' power. He was never concerned about the power they had before when the power they had was that they disseminated was all in favor of leftists. Now suddenly he's worried about the power that social media might have with, with Elon Musk in charge of one of those platforms. All of those stories and more right now on alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. Let's go to the phones. We'll go to um, Illyria. Jay, you are on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Jay. Good morning, and thanks for being always right. Listen, I have one thing to say about Elon Musk and Twitter, and in my opinion, never to be humble, it absolutely proves the unending chain of successes and the absolute efficacy of the free market system. The free market system beat out the socialist agenda that the left would have you believe is now under attack because of this purchase, and I beg to disagree. This is nothing but the success of free market capitalism in its most glowing red, white, and blue colors. It is all of the above. Completely concur. Very well said. Thank you. Daniel Digger! Appreciate the call, Jay. It is exactly that. It is, it is capitalism in its finest form. It is free market in its finest form. And it is freedom in its finest form. And that's why the left hates it so much. That's why they hate all of the above, quite literally. They don't believe in free market, capitalism, or freedom of speech and expression. This is why they're all saying, I'm going to leave. Now, again, I'm going to call their bluff. I, I call you know shenanigans on them because they said they were going to leave and go to Canada. They were going to go some, and by the way, I'm I, I, sorry, I'm chasing a rabbit here, but just super quick. Do you remember when Bush was uh, running for re-election in 2004? And do you remember all of the hand-wringing and the screeching, we're moving to Canada, we're moving to Canada, Barbara Streisand, uh, um, I mean, virtually every, every left-wing celebrity you can think of in the entertainment industry, moving to Canada, moving to Canada, I'm going to Canada, going to Canada, and they never went to Canada. Then Donald Trump came around. If this guy beats Hillary Clinton, oh, my gosh, I'm moving to Canada, moving to Canada, moving to Canada. Guess what? Never went to Canada. But that's only part of the story. You know what the other, the other part of the story is that I always try to remind people of? How extraordinarily racist every single one of them is. Why is it that when the left says, I'm leaving the country because I don't like its new leadership, they always want to go to Canada? Why do they never say I'm going south of the border to Mexico? 
where all of the brown people live. You ever ponder that? Every single leftist piece of trash that has threatened to leave because of politics says they're going to Lily White. And they call it the Great White North. They're going to Canada. None of them say, if this changes, I'm going down to Mexico. I'm going to live in Mexico. And the reason why is they can't afford to live at a resort for 12 months a year. They'd actually actually, actually have to live in Mexico, and they want nothing to do with it. They're just fine with bringing countless numbers of immigrants to this country illegally. They're fine if they come up here, but are they going down there to live with Mexicans in Mexico? Nope. They're always going to Canada. Well, they never do go to Canada. And guess what? They're also not leaving Twitter. They're not going to surrender. They're going to continue to do what they do. They're going to bring their vitriol, their anger, their hate speech, their vile language, and their pronouns, and they're going to try to continue to beat up uh, people on the right. The only difference is now Elon Musk is, is going to allow the people on the right to fight back, and that's a beautiful thing. That's all we ask for. We're not asking for a platform of our own, although we now have one of those, too. Because Truth Social is up and running, and I am on Truth Social. Follow me there at Always Write WHK, Always Write WHK. And oh, by the way, I just heard, because right now it is only available on the Apple platform, and this is just one of those goofy, wonky things. I can't figure out why, but I heard Devin Nunez on Fox yesterday saying that that's only a temporary thing, that they will be uh, Android uh, platformed uh, probably within a month. So if you have an Android, and first of all, I don't relish the idea of having either one of these things. I don't want to support Apple nor Google at all. But those are the only smartphones that really are are available right now. So if you uh, are Android bound, if you have an Apple and you are stuck, or excuse me, an Android and you are stuck with it, you can still get on Truth Social, according to Devin Nunez, who's part of this, uh, in about a month or a little bit less than a month. If you're on Apple, you already have it. Well, then join join uh, Truth Social. Download that app like I did, uh, and I am just enjoying the great feedback and the great camaraderie and the great back and forth discussions. I've only been on it for about three days. Uh, but yesterday, I just saw a big, massive swelling of followers because Cong- Congressman Jim Jordan went on there and told people to follow me, uh, which is great. Now I'm interacting with more and more of Jordan supporters. It's just a fantastic place to be. And the beauty of it, again, when I say you know we have one of our own anyway, is that this one is also going to be completely free speech-oriented. Leftist opinions aren't going to be censored on truth to the social. And now, conservative opinions aren't going to be uh, uh, suppressed and censored on Twitter because of Elon Musk. It's a terrific thing to know that actual freedom of speech is going to be embraced, and it can be done. Let's go to uh, Westlake now. Vince, you're on AM 1420. The answer, go right ahead, Vince. Good morning, brother. Thanks for taking my call, as always. Yes, Great sir. show. Um, Thank you. I, <laughs> it, it, once again, I'm left speechless by the dialogue of the day. Uh, and let's go right to the rank hypocrisy, the rank hypocrisy of the left. You mentioned Brian Stelter, and I was listening to Kurt Schlister previous to you, mm-hmm. and he brought up somebody. I caught part of it, but he played a clip from somebody. Again, I'm not sure if it was Brian Stelter or not, but it was a left-wing pundit on TV bemoaning, almost in a meltdown, crying, we're not going to have equal opportunity. We're not going to have equal speech. We're not going to have – I'm thinking to myself, do you people not know of 
videotape, audio tape, stuff like that, where they can go back and play over and over and over, where you guys did the same thing to us for years. And now that you've got a guy that doesn't want to do the same to you, but wants to have equal time for everybody, that's the key here that everybody's forgetting. Elon Musk is not going to say, okay, well, now we're going to go hardcore right or whatever. That This is going to be a free speech forum, as it should be, in this land called the United States of America. And again, Bob, it just totally, totally takes, takes my breath away sometimes of their hypocrisy and their actually stupidity about what they say. You know, I think it's more the latter than the former. I think it's more stupidity than hypocrisy. I, I, yeah. I know okay. it sounds sounds it sounds a little strong, but I mean, they they can't be this, they can't be this obtuse, can they? To to not see the the, the 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 stuff they have done to censor and deplatform conservatives. And by the way, you know, this is one out of many platforms that they control. They still have full control of Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg is still throwing conservatives in jail, Facebook jail, if they post something like me. I got thirty days for posting that Dr. Robert Malone video of him uh, uh, talking about how dangerous the vaccines are for people and how he, right. the inventor right. of the mRNA yep. technology, yep. is never going to get a booster because he's not going to put his life on the line and they suspended me for that so they still have facebook they still control android and uh which is google and apple um the leftists still have essentially control of all of the social media platforms except for one which is now twitter and even in that one it's not a conservative haven where leftists are going to be censored it's just a place that's 50 50 where you can say something i can say something and if we disagree we disagree and it's all going to be allowed so that's you know the hypocrisy i don't think covers it. i just think they're flat out stupid i just i can't i can't put it any other way i wish i could i would i would agree i would have to agree Vince, great call, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, that's Vince. Uh, let's go to Cleveland next. Rick. Hey, Rick, you are on Always Right. How are you doing? Go ahead, sir. I'm great. Thanks. Yep. Good Good morning. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, certainly a day to celebrate. There's a, there's a lot of things going on on the conservative front that are looking good, and I appreciate that. Um, I think the one thing I, I uh, when I thought about, when I saw that Eon Musk finally got his Got got the thing approved and done. I uh, my, my first thought was, yeah, well, you know, conservatives are going to have a platform once again. So so grateful for that. But I love the free market idea. And my only concern that I have going forward is stuff with conservative, which I am one, is that we we make sure that on our side of things we keep the door open so that the people, no matter how far left they are, know that we keep the door open for them. Even though they can't, they, they slam the door in our faces. I think that would speak absolute volumes because as many people as seem to be just completely in a coma when it comes to reality, there are still those people that will think and think a lot and think hard about this stuff. Even if they fall on the other side of that line, I'm hoping that it's going to be changed minds over the course of this new season we're in. That really gets the job done because having two forces come as a endlessly opposed to each other usually it doesn't do anything. One side doesn't really change the other side. So I'm hoping that this new opportunity, something that we take uh, advantage of, to where we can actually build a bridge where they've been burning them down. You know, uh, I, I completely concur, but I, I I think to build a bridge, and I'm picturing it in a just a weird way, I guess. You know, from an engineering standpoint, uh, that you should start it on each side of the of the of the uh, of the span. You know what I mean? From from I one do. side yeah. to the other, and and if one side doesn't build, 
uh, at the same rate as the other side, at the same pace, the other side is going to end up having no support in the middle and it's going to collapse. Well, that makes uh, if, sense. If, sure, if you can kind sure. of picture, you know what I mean? If you can kind of picture I that. I do, just, yeah. So, uh, and, and, and I don't think they want to do that. They don't want to build a bridge. They like, the, that, they, yeah. they like the sep, they like the divide and they really want their own, you know, again, I hate to keep using the same word, but they want their own echo chamber. They, they don't want to hear from the other side. They don't want any bridges. Exactly. They just want to be able exactly. to beat up, beat up people they don't like. I couldn't agree with you more. I think the one thing uh, in the light at the end of that tunnel, which I 100,000% agree with that, but I still think are you there in the are transportation those... industry because all your metaphors have to do with bridges and tunnels. <laughs> are you in infrastructure? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I uh, I couldn't get one block to stand on top of another when I was a kid. No. I'm sorry, uh, no, but... go ahead and finish your thought. What was the light at the end yeah, of that tunnel? Thank you, thank you. No, I, I love it because uh, I think when I, when I talk to a true conservative, I can hear the passion and the compassion in their hearts. I can hear the, the desire to come let us reason together. And what I found, in, and I actually have some liberal friends, and it's amazing how I find them wanting to step back and think. They kind of like that sense of freedom. So my hope is that somebody's going to smell freedom. They're going to go for it. Yeah, I do. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's uh, uh, naive. I don't uh, know. It's, Bob, it's aspirational. It's it's not naive, but it is aspirational. It's hopeful, uh, and and yeah. I and I respect that. I'd rather have hope than no hope. So I'm I'm with you. <laughs> hey, Rick, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. God you, bless you as Nine, well. Thank you. Nine fifty three. Right back on Always Right Radio, AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Don't forget, we've got Kirsten out coming up at uh, 1010. He's got thoughts on this Senate race, which, of course, is very hotly contested. Uh, We are just getting down to the nitty-gritty now. And it really, really is becoming more and more uh, a three-person race. It's, uh, you know, it is uh, Vance and Mandel and Gibbons, or it's Mandel and Gibbons and Vance, or it's Gibbons and Vance and Mandel in some order or another. Those are pretty much going to be the last three standing, it looks like. And I'm not telling you who to vote for or not to vote for, but... It really looks like that's the way it's going to come down. We'll get Pete's thoughts about that and also what the Trump endorsement of J.D. Vance means in that race coming up. Uh, let's go to Charlie now in Westlake. Charlie, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was at the rally on Saturday. Beautiful day as far as weather. It's just not too much sun, actually. But uh, my take was that because uh, conservatives are usually pretty loyal, it was divided five ways, or at least three ways. No one was really cheering for J.D. Vance. No one was actually, like, screaming for him. They were screaming for Trump, but not for him. Trump was trying to sell him to us. But I don't think uh, – and as far as the, the, the uh, T-shirts, they were taking everybody's T-shirt off. I had hit a uh, handmade sign that said, uh, J.D. the pony proved me wrong, but they told me to put, put it away, so – it was a lot of censorship going on. Yeah, and that's the thing that's very frustrating to me, and I'm sure to you too, Charlie, because I know you're a Mandel supporter. How can you not be allowed to wear a, a, the shirt of a, of a Republican candidate uh, that you support at a Republican rally uh, for for a Republican former president? Um, it just makes no sense. I understand Trump endorsed J.D. Vance, but does he expect everybody there to join that endorsement and not have their own thoughts and, and free free speech, free views, free you know decisions and so forth to the point where everybody has to cover that up? 
Uh, if you're a Gibbons supporter, you ought to be able to flaunt that. If you're even a Timken supporter, Bob Paduchik probably would have worn one of those. Um, you know, you ought to be able to do that. It's uh, it's mind blowing to me that the president of the United States, former president, and his team, and the ORP led by Paduchik would would engage in full on, you know, communist slash Democrat censorship at that rally. That really bothers me. Yeah, it was. I, I was very surprised by it. You know, I talked to a lot of people, and there was supporters for for every all five candidates there. They were quiet. They they did not want to, you know because they were pointing you out. They would say no, none of that. No, you know. Cause you, I was you, yelling. You want to know what my th- you know what want to know my, my, what my real thought is there, Charlie? And thanks for the call as to why they did that. I bet it had less to do with the Vance endorsement over the other Senate candidates, and probably more to do with the fact that they didn't want just swarms of Renacci signs and T-shirts everywhere. Because Bob Paduchik was co-hosting this event for Trump. And Bob Paduchik, the corrupt bully in charge of the ORP, Bob Paduchik supports and defends and champions Mike DeWine. He didn't want any, just like he hid Mike DeWine from the uh, State Central Committee meeting, said he didn't have to come in order to get the endorsement from the State Central Committee. Because he knew that as soon as Mike DeWine walked in, he would be booed by the throngs, including other members of the State Central Committee. And if Mike DeWine made an appearance at that Trump rally, oh, oh my, would he have heard it. So they weren't going to allow Jim Renacci, who was there, and his team, which were passing out all kinds of literature and so forth, um, you know, to dominate the event. I think it was as much as that of that as anything else. And, again, I'll say I'm very disgusted by the president over that one, the former president that would allow that to happen. Uh, quick time out for news. On the other side of the news, Peter Kersenow educates us. AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two now underway, nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks so much for being with us. On AM 1420, the answer, Always Right Radio, can be heard on alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. Check it out for the top headlines of the day, an opportunity for you to give answers to what we're asking and maybe to ask your own questions and the sound off button. Check it out at alwaysright.us. It is a Tuesday. It's the 26th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. We are just days away from an extraordinarily important primary election. We have a lot of races in which we need to choose the right people to go against the demon rats coming up in November. And joining us now to help break some of that down is our good friend from the United States Commission on Civil Rights, also from uh, his law practice in Cleveland, also from the pages of his many tremendous best-selling books, uh, and maybe sometimes from the classrooms he teaches in uh, at uh, Marshall School of Law at Cleveland State University. I speak, of course, only Peter Kersenow. Peter, good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well, my friend. It's uh, good to have you. Uh, draft is coming up here. Or, uh, are you expecting a call so you can get that one play in? Or uh, I, you know, I'm I'm still hoping. You know, I think they would make a big mistake if they didn't. And I think I'll probably go in the third or fourth round. I don't think it's going to be first or second, but uh, I, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I've been working out hard. Uh, I think I got a good forty times, so I'm ready to go. I bet you do. I mean, I, people have no earthly idea the kind of shape you're in. Uh, it's remarkable. You belie your age, and you, of course, make the rest of us very, very, very envious. All right, uh, Peter Kirstenow. We are watching an extraordinary thing take place right now in Ohio politics. We have seen a former president of the United States ignore, largely, uh, a lot of candidates for the United States Senate who have had his back from the very beginning, who have never said a cross word about him, who have been America first, who have been MAGA, who have been Save America, uh, and championing him every step of the way, wanting to take that, those policies into Washington, D.C. in the Senate. We had one candidate in this race who has been very much the opposite of that, very anti-Trump, very anti-America first, very anti-everything having to do with uh, the, the, the MAGA movement. In fact, somebody who said he would possibly consider voting for Hillary Clinton and did, in fact, vote for Evan McMullen because he was so desperate to avoid voting for Donald Trump. Now, that individual is the one who got the Donald Trump endorsement, and that has sent shockwaves through conservative Ohio. Um, What is your impression of Trump's decision to endorse J.D. Vance, and what is your prediction as to the impact of that come Tuesday? Well, I think I'm as perplexed as many of your listeners are. We talked a little bit about this last week, and I tried to read up a little bit more to try to figure out why it was that Trump did endorse Vance. We know that, uh, you know, in the past, Trump has generally been averse to endorsing or supporting anybody who had, you know, even the mildest of unkind words to say about him. And that's uh, not even a description of J.D. Vance, who had some extremely harsh things to say about him. But more importantly, it's some of the other things that J.D. Vance said. Even if you put aside the negative comments that J.D. Vance made about Trump in the lead-up to the 2016 election, and even some of the comments he made afterwards, Vance hasn't yet explained himself on a host of issues um, where he has criticized not Trump, but Trump's supporters. Um, you know, the, those who were called by Hillary Clinton as deplorables, he, uh, at least it appears, and I would like to hear an explanation. I got, you know, look, he, he's ostensibly a Republican, ostensibly a conservative. I will give him the benefit of the doubt, but there's a lot of troubling evidence out there. Admittedly, in campaign ads, which you should take with a grain of salt, but a lot of it's in his own words, where he talks about uh, Trump supporters, he kind of agrees or concurs with Hillary's assessment that they're deplorables. And he said some elements of them are racists. And that's not the way conservatives talk about other conservatives. That's especially not the way that people talk about Trump supporters if they're conservatives, because that's the way, in fact, the left has universally and unremittingly uh, uh, maligned conservatives who support Trump. So it's let astonishing. Me, let, let me let me provide some context there for you, only because I asked JD that very question last week after the endorsement, and I asked him. I said, "Hey, you know, it's one thing to insult Trump and then have him forgive you, but it's another thing to insult the Trump support base by saying these things." And I read some of the quotes that you just mentioned to him. His response to me was this. Um, that it's all in in uh, the the asking of the question. He was asked about. He says in the in that comment. He was asked about some of the um, 
symbolism that is seen sometimes at the Trump rallies. Uh, people waving a flag. Now, we, we know, by the way, that those kinds of things have been infiltrated a lot. The left will send, Antifa will send people into a tea party. I remember this has been going on since 2010. They'll send people into a, a peaceful tea party and mixed in among the Gadsden flags and the U.S. flags, uh, somebody will fly a swastika flag. And then that will be the one picture that the press grabs and says, there's the racist neo-Nazi tea partiers, uh, you know, celebrating their hatred. Uh, so he said that what his response was, was in a, or excuse me, what a statement was, was in response to a question about those people saying or displaying those things. And that's when he said, there may be elements of, and again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him from my interview with him, elements of racism and xenophobia in some of the people who support President Trump, but most of them are not like that. So that there's just the context. Pete, do with that what you will. Yeah, um, I will accept that from him in good faith. I would say this, that somebody running for the Republican nomination for Senate from Ohio, though, I don't think would respond like that, frankly. All due respect to J.D. Vance. It's, it, his, it ameliorates the harshness of the statement, which you've just described. But I think that most candidates, I would suspect that a Mike Gibbons or, or Josh Mandel and others, would not even accept the premise that there are these supposed racists among the Trump crowd. There are racists in the United States of America, and most of them that I've seen overtly have been on the left. The left continually maligns we conservatives as being It's their go-to meme, racist, racist, because they've got nothing else, nothing whatsoever. So they lie about that. For a conservative to accept the liberal meme requires a lot more explaining than what I've just heard. Again, I give him the benefit of the doubt, but I have never seen a conservative, at least a reliable conservative, who has agreed with this aspersion that is cast continually by liberals against conservatives. It reminds of that Charlottesville statement that they continue to lie about with Trump. Remember when Trump said that there were good people on both sides of the statue debate? He didn't mean those people who were marching, those few that were marching, those those uh, white supremacists. And again, that probably constituted 90% of the white supremacists in the entire country. But of course, the media seizes upon that and hammers it over and well, over Biden, and Biden over again. Biden is still again. repeating that lie in speeches. Of course. Biden is still of doing course. that. Bob, we've talked about this before. I've been on the Civil Rights Commission for two decades. We get this information. And if anyone knows where there are white supremacists, you'd, you'd come to the Civil Rights Commission and ask. I'm befuddled. I keep hearing these terms of white supremacy. And I'm going, I must have been asleep at the switch during all these meetings because I have yet to see this widespread white supremacy. Yes, I'll say again, in a nation of 330 million people or 40 million people, you're going to get some white supremacists out there. But my goodness, you're, you're just, be just as likely to find dodo birds. But the point being that J.D. Vance seized upon one of the greatest maligning statements that the left ever has against the right, lies, in fact, about the right, and he repeated it, or at least gave it some, some credence. That's, per, that's perplexing. Now, again, I give him the benefit of the doubt, but he has more explaining to do. Um, uh, it's, it, it, but to go to your initial question... We have a lot of good conservatives in this race. Um, I believe in his heart, J.D. Vance probably is one of them. 
But I don't think that there's sufficient evidence, at least as much evidence that Mike Gibbons and Josh Mandel are conservatives. We have absolutely no doubt about those two, none whatsoever. I have never, ever heard anything remotely like what J.D. Vance has said on multiple occasions in multiple um, venues and multiple ways. Uh, I've never heard uh, either Mike or Josh say anything like that. They have been reliable and good conservatives, thoughtful conservatives, for as long as I've ever heard about them in public life, as long as I've known them. And I've known you know them for years and years and years. I'd be proud to have either one of those as senators, and I don't need much more explanation from them. It's a question as to which one might be better to serve Ohio. But J.D. Vance requires a lot more explaining. So and having said really, all of that, so having said all of that, Pete, um, the endorsement has been given. His, yes, it another, has. another response that he gave to me when I interviewed J.D. was, President Trump has forgiven me, therefore, um, I don't really have a whole lot, he didn't say it this, I mean, his, his attitude was, look, yeah, I said some things, I have regretted them, I, those things will stay with me the rest of my public life, he said, and he's right, uh, he said, but the reality is, President Trump has forgiven me, President Trump knows my sincerity and has endorsed me, hopefully that'll be good enough for some other people. How do you say Well, that? that's a big deal, there's no doubt that's a big deal, but... Uh Simply because President Trump endorses somebody doesn't necessarily make it conclusive for me or many of his supporters. Simply because there uh, you know, it I, is. I, <laughs> that's I, I like, that's I the like, question, right? How I much like, weight I like, does a Trump endorsement carry right now? Oh, a lot. More than almost any other candidate out there. It carries a lot of weight, but it's not dispositive. It may be enough to carry somebody over in a general election. No doubt about that. But we have options here in a primary. We have a lot of splendid candidates here. So what does a Trump endorsement do in respect to the records of these other conservative candidates who we know are reliable conservatives? I don't know. It remains to be seen because we really haven't seen this before from a President Trump. Generally, President Trump is not, you know, very charitable toward those who are not charitable toward him. So this is one of the things that really perplexed a lot of people. How the heck did this happen? Uh, again, though, I, I say that with respect to Mike Gibbons and uh, mm -hmm. Josh Mandel, we know where they are. We also know this, that if J.D. Vance is the nominee, all of us are voting for him over Tim Ryan. But that's not where we are right now. We are still in the primary, and we want the best, most reliable conservative out there. And we know the records of both Mike Gibbons and of Josh Mandel, and they are solid. They've always been reliable conservatives. We may have different opinions as to you know who you like better for whatever reason, mm -hmm. but they have never taken shots against the conservative base, to my knowledge. Okay, nope. maybe nope. somebody can pull out a quote here or there, and I rely upon you by because you're the best at ferreting these kinds of things out. And I appreciate that you ferreted, you know, the explanation out from J.D. Vance. But I say again, there have been multiple occasions. Again, I'm getting this from ads and reports, and I'd like to hear from him. There are multiple occasions when he has said things that the left says about we conservatives. Forget what he says about Trump. That's bad. That's bad enough. But he has said things that that seem to validate what the left has said about the conservative base. I think that's well said, Peter Kirsten. Now, now that we've talked about the Trump endorsement advance, we have to talk about some other endorsement questions and also the very questionable manner in which these endorsements were handed out, particularly on Saturday at the uh, rally for President Trump in Delaware. I want to get your thoughts on that, Pete, as we continue. It's 1021, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer, right back. Okay, 1024 now. We continue with Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420, The Answer. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Truth Social, President Trump's new um, 
social media platform. We'll talk about Twitter changing hands from leftist to a full-on free speech absolutist named Elon Musk. We'll do all that in a bit. But, Pete, I want to go uh, stay on the issue of um, endorsements here. What we found out on Saturday uh, was pretty astounding. Um, Frank LaRose has been no friend to President Trump any more than J.D. Vance. He has been very vocally critical of him. He has re- refused to acknowledge any shenanigans in the uh, 2020 election. Uh, he uh, His tweets um, were very, very Vance-esque in terms of uh, their vitriol toward Trump in 2021. Or, excuse me, in 2016, beg your pardon. Um, and he took Zuckerberg, Zuckerbucks uh, as Secretary of State, uh, calling into question the legitimacy of his handling of the elections. All of those things I bring up only because President Trump endorsed Frank LaRose to repeat as Secretary of State for re-election. Um, that also kind of was a, was a gut punch to a lot of Ohio conservatives. And then right at the same time, Frank LaRose endorses J.D. Vance for U.S. Senate. Um, to say that that's coincidental would be just completely foolish and misleading. It is more than that. It is quid pro quo. And it is also, in my view, Pete, highly inappropriate for a man who runs the elections to issue an endorsement in a race that he is going to oversee during these elections. But the fix is in. Endorse my guy to generate some support for J.D. and I'll give you an endorsement in your own race. That's what Trump did here. How do you feel about that? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm aware of that, and I'll go back to what I said earlier. I'm very perplexed, quite frankly. I am one of those guys, you know this, over the last number of years, I've given Trump the benefit of the doubt in any close question, uh, because I think his instincts are generally the right instincts. Uh, But this looks more like, all due respect to President Trump, this looks more like the general, usual, uh, political machine kind of, of operation. Uh, rather than the kind of substantive approach that President Trump was so famous for in the past, where he didn't care about the politics of the situation, at least in terms of the standard politics that we see in the GOP machine or a Democrat machine. So I'm, I'm fairly, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it, Bob. I wish I had an answer for it. This is one of those few times when I don't have an answer. I am perplexed. Both of those actions, the endorsement of LaRose, the endorsement of J.D. Vance, is something I would not have predicted. Uh, Trump is is not a predictable person necessarily, but when it comes to one thing alone, we know that Trump usually demands loyalty, and neither of those individuals have demonstrated any kind of loyalty to Donald Trump, and more importantly for me is whether or not they've demonstrated loyalty, loyalty to conservatism, st- uh, strong um, cultural and economic conservatism, and although many of them have, or both of them have made statements in that regard, their other statements are very troubling. I want media, and you're about the only one who's done this, Bob, I want media and their rivals to ferret this stuff out. We only have a week, unfortunately, and it's late in the game. Yeah, uh, but they've know, got I, a lot more explaining to do. I give a lot of credit. It's alternative media when I talk about Tom Z because you know he runs the We the People convention and it's very decidedly conservative minded and so forth. It's not quote unquote independent media, but but he's ferreting out a lot of this and uh, and and so much of it is is very obviously true and easy to find. My I guess my question, Pete, and I was talking about this with our callers and listeners yesterday, is what does this say about President Trump? Has he 
had a pivot of some sort, because this isn't the guy. These are, this, these are not the actions of the guy that you and I championed for the last five and a half years, four years as president and a year and a half since. We have backed him, supported him, uh, and, and still do, largely. But this is not that guy. Uh, there is a... I said it yesterday, you know, he, if he's not fully swimming in it, he's wading into the swamp. And it doesn't seem to be to pull the plug on it, to drain it. Because if he was going to drain it, he wouldn't be making backroom quid pro quo deals to support never Trumpers in, uh, you know, in, in, in their primaries. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, uh, this is so not like the Trump we have seen over the last six years. He is the outsider who sticks by his principles, sometimes maddeningly so. I I don't have an answer for you, Bob. I wish that he'd come on your show where you could ask him those questions, because I will always give Trump the benefit of the doubt. This is a guy who's gotten beat up like no candidate in the history of the United States. So he gets the benefit of the doubt, and he makes mistakes. Look, he makes mistakes. Sometimes somebody may have had his ear and said, hey, this may be a good endorsement. I don't know. And maybe it is a good endorsement. Maybe we're missing something. I have no idea. But it raises so many serious questions. And the big question for me is, why endorse somebody who attacks our base? That's unforgivable. One of the reasons why, I'm repeating myself again, but one of the reasons why Trump had this steadfast loyalty from the base is because he had an unwavering allegiance to the base where as other Republicans would cut and run immediately and say things similar to what J.D. Vance has said. So, uh, Bob, if you can get Trump on the show again, I'd be listening very hard because I don't yeah. have an answer for you. Yeah, I, I would love to do that. And Because one of the other things I would ask him is, I'll ask you about now, Pete, is, you know, he came to Ohio in which there is a hotly contested governor's race with a highly unpopular yeah. Republican governor who's done some highly unpopular things to the people in this state, and he didn't even address it. He didn't give a word to Mike DeWine. He didn't give a word to Jim Renacci. But what he did do was was kiss the ring of Bob Paduchik very publicly and loudly and, and proudly supporting the ORP chair, who, of course, has supported and shepherded through the endorsement of Mike DeWine. So what John, Donald Trump did is he gave a de facto endorsement to maybe the weakest, worst rhino, and that means worse even than Kasich, that I've ever seen in charge of the state of Ohio. What's... <laughs> This will be the sixth time I think in the last well, 15 minutes I've used the word perplexing. <laughs> and I don't mean to, I'm just, you know, it's a different topic. I didn't here, know if you had any more insight into no, no, this. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just as, as amazed by this as you are, Bob. I, the only explanation I have, because again, Trump has been pretty good about these things, is he is spread thin and is getting advice from, you know, I don't know who he's getting advice from, but I wonder about the quality of that advice and who's giving it to him. Yeah. It does seem more like swamp creature type of advice rather than the kind of robust conservative advice that he had been getting up until now. Right. Have no idea what's going on there. That's why, where's the media on this? I know when he comes on your show, Bob, you ask him the right questions. But, uh, you know, he hasn't been on your show since he's done these things, and it is perplexing. I bet a lot of your listeners would like to know, because we give the president the benefit of the doubt, right. what's going on in his mind. I know this much. My preferences, strong preferences for a Jim Renacci, it's for the strong conservatives in this race. And uh, the president has endorsed people who pose a lot of questions for strong conservatives. Right. Very well said. Peter, let's take our time out here for news. We'll come back and talk about free speech and why it scares the jeebers out of everybody on leftist Twitter. They are afraid of it. They're running from it. I'm going to talk about Elon Musk's takeover and what it means. And we continue with Chris and I right after this.
enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. 1037. We continue on AM 1420. The answer. Excuse me. Good morning to you. Peter Kirsten now continues with us now uh, on Always Right Radio. You can listen online at alwaysright.us and uh, before we do that, in November of 2020, this is important. You're going to want to you're going to want to see this. In November of 2020, the Democrats, as you know, were up to no good. They were planning to pull off the greatest scheme of election fraud ever before seen. They didn't think we'd be, we would catch them, but uh, catch them we did. Two Thousand Mules is a film telling the story of the ones who tried to hijack the presidential election. You'll see the video surveillance. You'll see the tracking of the cell phones as the mules go from ballot box to ballot box trying to steal the election. Find out what they did and how they did it. It's made by renowned filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza, executively produced by the Salem Media Group, with research from truethevote.org. You are going to want to see this. Watch and decide for yourself if anything was um, a little off here or if there were some serious um, examples and evidence of election fraud taking place. Limited release of 2,000 Mules in theaters May 2nd and May 4th only. You'll have to check the local listings and buy your tickets exclusively at 2000mules.com. You cannot buy them at the box office. You have to go to 2000mules, that's 2000mules.com, and get your tickets for 2000 Mules. You want to know what happened? This is a lot of the evidence of what happened. Peter Kersenow, uh here's what happened. The richest man in the world just bought one of the most influential social media platforms in the world. Uh, one that has been described as the new public town, uh, town square, uh, the place where public discourse happens, the place where news is broken, the place where people get their news instead of television newscasts, and sometimes even newspaper, or newspapers and um, uh, websites can't compete with the news provided and broken on Twitter. Well, for over 10 years, it has been an echo chamber of leftist thought. Conservatives, including the former president of the United States, have been booted, even though... Wild leftists and dangerous people like Antifa, people like the uh, uh, president of Russia, uh, and that is not a joke, by the way. The Ayatollah in uh, uh, in Iran, they all have Twitter accounts, but Donald Trump can't have one. Doctors who question COVID vaccines uh, from Pfizer uh, or pseudo vaccines, the profit jabs, uh, they can't have Twitter accounts. Uh, if you question anything that they have to say about election fraud or about January 6th, you can't have a Twitter account. Well, Pete, now the man running the show who owns the show uh, says no longer because we are believers in free speech, or at least he himself is a believer in free speech. In fact, he calls himself a free speech absolutist. And now the leftists who have enjoyed that echo chamber for the last 10 years are fleeing for the hills, or at least they say they are. What kind of an impact do you think that this will have on politics and on information in the country? Well, I think it's going to have uh, um, more than a marginal positive effect, but it remains to be seen what kind of an effect it will have. And I, you know, I am not one of these conservatives who is all excited about this. I think I'm going to take a wait-and-see attitude. I've heard everything that Elon Musk has to say. He is saying the right things. I think that Twitter has been a malign influence for a number of reasons, one of which, of course, is, as you stated, it has skewed so hard left and has banned anything that may be a discouraging word for leftists, including things that are important could sway elections and may have swayed elections with respect to the Hunter 
Biden's laptop, and a whole host of other issues related to the 2020 election that, if you talk to leftists, they're compl- consider this, Bob. Here we are a year and a half after the election. All of the salient facts related to Russia collusion have been proven to be utterly false, every single one of them. Yet a poll shows that 74% of Democrats still believe that there was Russian collusion that got Trump into the White House in 2016. That can only happen when the left controls ABC, MSNBC, CBS, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, and Twitter, and Facebook, and all the other social media giants. They have a monopoly, uniform or had a uniform monopoly on the dispersal of news in this country. And if you're not one of those individuals who may get a peek at a Fox News or listen to your program, you have no clue as to what the alternate argument is. That's why I think it's important to have a base like a Twitter where maybe, maybe, uh, again, I'm a skeptical kind of person here. We'll see what Musk does. I take him at his word. Uh, but there are extremely powerful interests out, th- out there that are in opposition to having a debate in the public square. And I think that powerful opposition may raise its head in terms of some type of regulatory action for the first time. As long as the left had a monopoly, <laughs> literally a monopoly, on the dispersal of news, they, they weren't going to bother Twitter. <clears throat> uh, they weren't going to uh, bother you know, Jack Dorsey, anybody like that. But once their monopoly is threatened, right away you may see some actions in Congress, legislation that may curb the ability of individuals to say discouraging words to the left on Twitter. And also, I don't know how this is all going to play out with Elon Musk. Again, I, I, I I take him at his word. He sounds like a free speech absolutist, but I take a wait and see attitude with respect to everything. Yeah, and uh, and and I can understand that. Um, I, I think though, if the left's reaction to this is any indication, they fully expect it to be what he said. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, Brian Stelter, the uh, Humpty Dumpty on CNN, literally said this. He said that having Elon Musk in charge of Twitter. And and promising free speech is like inviting people to a party where there are no rules. Would you want to go to a party where there are no rules? Most people would want to stay home from that. And and I'm thinking to myself, no rules is is literally a synonymous with freedom. Um, and to say that there aren't going to be rules, you know, as if people are going to be allowed to go on Twitter under Elon Musk and plan in the open, you know, acts of violence and, and carry out, you know, all kinds of terrible things is, is just completely dishonest. It's, it's, uh, uh, people are, are just not being genuine. There are going to be rules. It's just that if you are going to allow people to present one side of a debate, they are going to allow at least what Musk promises and what the left fears. They're going to allow people to provide the other side of that debate rather than saying, that's misinformation, you're banned. It's not like there won't be any rules. It's not the Wild West where people can go in there and just start slinging you know, F-bombs and N-bombs and, and all kinds of other terrible things around. It's just going to provide freedom of opportunity to respond, which is the one thing that it never had. All right. The unhinged reaction from the left is the greatest endorsement of the Musk takeover of Twitter. And I agree with you, your assessment on all those issues. The importance here is that there is a tiny crack in the leftist firewall. Now, 
Many people are making a big deal of this, and they should. I mean, this is not a small deal, but keep in mind that the left still has a stranglehold on 90% of the rest of the media and what gets to the public. And they're going apoplectic about the fact that one platform, admittedly a powerful platform, I don't use it, I'm not on Twitter, because the other part of it for me is, is it a good thing substantively. Um, I, you know, I think free speech is great, but I think in terms of the waste of time, the kind of crap, for lack of better term, is on Twitter. I've got more impo- I don't have enough time to be on Twitter, frankly, but others do, and that's fine with them. But the fact that we have a tiny crack in the firewall, I think, is a great thing. And um, it remains to be seen what kind of effect, again, it has, because I do think it's but a, just a small sliver, considering that the left controls virtually everything else. Pete, I want to pivot uh, here, because uh, I think that's very well said. And uh, like you, I'm going to be you know, cautious in my optimism here, but I am going to tell you, yes, I am very optimistic. I think, uh, I think uh, a guy who spends $44 billion of his dollars <laughs> to do something isn't going to then buy it and do something different. Uh, that's a, that's an awful that's an awful lot of money. Even if you're worth 260 billion, that's an awful lot of money to uh, to just play around with and say, "Ha ha, trolling, gotcha." We're still going to be free speech. It's just you know, I mean, excuse me, it's still going to be a leftist speech. Uh, but I want to pivot now. <clears throat> when the accusations were made against border patrol agents who are on horseback, mounted agents, yeah. Um, were twirling their reins. They were, so all they were doing is they were twirling their reins to keep people back and to keep them away from the horses, which, by the way, they could get trampled by and get very badly hurt. Um, when that was portrayed by the leftist media and by the Brandon administration as whipping migrants, it was a massive nationwide story and scandal. And we promised to get to the bottom of a a, a major investigation of this. Uh, and it would be done very quickly. Well, it has been about, what, almost a year and there are still no resolutions to that, or at least no, we know what the answer to the investigation is. It was not true, but they haven't come out and said so. But the point is the media spent an awful lot of time on that. I have to hunt for news of Bishop Evans. I have to hunt for news of the story of a Texas National Guard soldier, Bishop Evans, who sacrificed his own life going into the Rio Grande, to save two illegal aliens. And I don't know anything about the aliens. They might have been just innocent farm workers, or they might have been drug smugglers. He didn't know either, but he did see two people struggling and was afraid of them drowning and dove in to save them and drowned himself. Um, This man is a hero beyond the description of the word hero, and it is something you were only going to find coverage of, uh, essentially on conservative media. Uh, programs like this, shows like Fox, maybe OAN and Newsmax. You're not going to see much of it anywhere else. Uh, Pete, do you think that's because the Biden administration knows that there is blood on their hands over this? I think it's partly that, but also the fact that the media has been in lockstep with progressivism. And let's face it, they, they squeal very loudly when you say this, but somebody give me an alternate explanation to how they act, how they behave, other than being un-American, anti-American. They usually go nuts when somebody calls them of that, but give me another explanation when you don't get coverage about, think not just about the Border Patrol agent who drowned. Think about all those people who died in Afghanistan. Think about the cops that they malign, the 
defund the police and all the cops who were killed as a result of that effort. Think about all the people who sacrificed themselves for their fellow Americans and for American America writ large, and you find the progressives on the other side of it. They can't stand the very notion of America, and they can't stand the people who hold up its highest ideals. This is, it's, it's inc- this is one of the reasons why I think so many of us are, are happy that Musk is getting Twitter, because they have locked down the dispersal of information that would cause average people who aren't necessarily completely political to come to certain conclusions about leftism. They must maintain the firewall so that there's this illusion that progressives have the best interests of America at heart, when manifestly they do not. I hate to say that about my fellow Americans, but look at their actions. Look at what happened in Florida with respect to Disney. Who would do that? We talked about this before, Bob. Who would ever champion strangers or teachers talking to kindergartners about such sexual matters? In the past, Well, I won't go into any kind of uh, tell you what would happen, but I think a lot of your listeners know that I think some people would not uh, look kindly upon that. Look at what's happening at the border. Look at what's happening with crime across the land at the hands of progressives. Again, I I mentioned Afghanistan. All the people who are conducting themselves in traditional American fashion, who love this country, love their families, love their God, they get trashed on a regular basis. That's why we don't hear these kinds of things. We don't want to hear, they don't want us to see these things that put the, the lie to all of their positions and all of the propaganda that they've been foisting upon us. Pete, uh, yeah, very, very well said. Um, I, I don't have time here because it's 1051, but I want to squeeze in one more quick topic with you, if that's okay. And thank you for your great thoughts on that. Um, you and I have spoken at length, and you've written, in fact, I think you've written things officially for the Civil Rights Commission on the Harvard uh, discrimination, admissions discrimination. I've got a brief policy. before the Supreme Court right now. Okay. Well, it's not just, it's not just Harvard anymore. It's not just colleges anymore. Uh, headline story this morning, the Supreme Court has voted to allow a Virginia high school to do the same thing Harvard is doing. Uh, they refuse to block an admissions policy uh, despite a lawsuit alleging that it is racist in its intent. Quote, the, this is quoting the uh, uh, Washington Examiner. The school's policy, this is TJ, Thomas Jefferson right. School for Arts and Science, or excuse me, for Science and Technology in Alexandria, Virginia. The school's policy is to increase the number of black and Hispanic students attending the high school, which challengers say comes at the expense of Asian-American students because it replaces the merit-based admissions with a lottery-based system. The school's most recent freshman class was admitted under the new system and saw a stark demographic change from previous school years. The black student population rose from 1% to 7%. Hispanic went from 3% to 11%. Asian-American representation declined from 73% to 54%, according to the coalition. Some are going to look at that and say, so what's wrong with having 1% to 7%? That's a good thing for the black students. It may or may not be. But, Pete, it is most decidedly racist against the Asian-Americans who would have qualified for those spots if it was merit-based. Right. Bob, I wouldn't read too much into the fact that the Supreme Court has temporarily chosen not to weigh in on it until such time as it can get to the merits of the situation. Um, the, um, the case 
will be decided on its merits at some point. And merely because the Supreme Court has declined to block it at this point doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to vote in favor of it. In fact, if you look at some of the Supreme Court jurisprudence on this, Thomas Jefferson High School is going to have an uphill battle on this, I would say. You never know until it's over. But I think at least by a 6-3 to decision, maybe even, um, who knows, could be maybe more than that, I think that the program that they've just instituted will fail because, as you've indicated, it's decidedly racist. It's discriminatory. People are being admitted based not on merit uh, or, you know, there's been diluted merit. They have lowered standards, but the most important factor is the color of one's skin. That is antithetical to everything we know about America, at least the American ideal. Have we been perfect along those lines? No. And the left continues to remind us that, you know, historically we have not been. But the left just beats on it constantly to justify its own racism. Look, all the racism you see in this country today, or 90% of the racism you see in this country, at least the institutional racism, the so-called systemic racism of which the left continually complains comes from the left. All of their so-called affirmative action programs that they think are so salutary that harm people and continue to inculcate racism into our polity, those are things that come from the left. Um, Bottom line here is I do think that the TJ program will be overturned, but the level of inquiry may be a little bit different than you find at the collegiate level. Um, I don't think it should be, but we'll see. I'm not involved in the TJ, the Thomas Jefferson litigation. I'm only involved in, or at least in terms of an amicus, involved in Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard. But the the law is almost identical in that regard. We should not be discriminating on the basis of race in education or almost any other thing. The constitutional standard is that you must have a compelling, compelling state interest in order to discriminate on the basis of race. And there are very few things that qualify. In the past, before, you know, we had the Grutter case, the Michigan case with affirmative action in colleges, it used to be pretty much just law enforcement and national security issues, such as if a CIA officer is is of Swedish extraction, you don't necessarily send him to be undercover in, say, Gabon or, or Uganda, all right? You can discriminate on the basis of race in that kind of case. So that's kind of extreme, but you get my drift. I do. That's a, so, good, that's a good way to say it, though. Yeah. yeah. So nonetheless, um, I do think the Supreme Court is not going to look kindly on Thomas Jefferson, but then again, I've been surprised in the past. Unfortunately. Well, well, uh, Pete, we will look to you for the latest on that. Obviously, I just found that story, uh, but I know you've been all over uh, the Harvard story, uh, especially for the Civil Rights Commission. So uh, we'll look forward to following up on that with you as well. Peter Kersenow, thank you, as always, for your wisdom and your insight. We appreciate you, and we'll talk to you again next week. Browns Kersenow for one play. Kersenow for one play. Kersenow for one. There you go. we got to make it known. Thank you, Pete. Andrew Barry, you listening? This guy can get it done. I'm promising you he can at least catch a five-yard out. He'll probably turn it up and get you some yak. I'm serious. you got to see the guy's in phenomenal shape. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. 
and our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway on AM 1420, The Answer. Always Right Radio. Listen online at alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. Read the top headlines of the day. Number one right now, of course, continues to be the remaking of the social media platform that is Twitter. Uh, Free Bird. Free Bird. April 25th, 2022. Everything changed. The public town square that has been exclusive to leftists is now going to be opened to everyone, according to what Elon Musk, the world's richest man and now the new owner of Twitter, is promising. It's going to take a little while. I have not reopened an account. I quit my account there two years ago because I was tired of not being allowed to fight back, not being allowed to say things in response to leftist misinformation because they branded my posts as being misinformation or disinformation and shut me down. Uh, so when it became clear that all I wanted was an echo chamber, I bailed. Now I'm ready to go back. But it's going to take a few months for him to implement changes, so I'm not back yet. I will let you know. I am, however, on Truth Social. Uh, Donald Trump's uh, sponsored. He's not yet on it. So that's why I'm calling it sponsored. But Donald Trump's social media platform has finally gone big time. Uh, they are onboarding millions of new accounts every single day because they partnered with Rumble and took advantage of Rumble servers. Uh, and so now they were really slow in building and growing, but now they're there, and I finally got on, and I am on there at Always Right WHK. So find me on Truth Social. And I certainly hope that we can uh, you know, start to bring a little bit of freedom excuse me, a little bit of freedom back to social media or maybe to social media for the first time between Truth Social and a remade Twitter. Maybe there's a chance that we can actually have some dialogue that isn't censored. All right. um, There was censorship going on Saturday at the Trump rally, but it wasn't censorship from the American left. It was censorship from Team Trump and from the ORP, the Ohio Republican Party, that didn't want any Political messaging that didn't support Donald Trump or Trump supported uh, Trump endorsed candidates to be on display. People were forced to turn their Renacy shirts inside out, their Mandel, their Gibbons shirts, take them off, take those hats off, take those buttons, no signs. Anybody that Trump didn't endorse or support. That's not the that's not the conservative movement that I have uh, been long behind. Uh, but I'm a little bit puzzled by the way things went down. And joining me now to discuss the way things went down as we get closer and closer, inching toward May 3rd and the uh, GOP primaries, in this case for the governor and lieutenant, lieutenant governor's race. Joining me now is Joe Knopp, the lieutenant governor candidate with Jim Renacy. Joe, good to have you back on Always Right Radio. How are you, sir? Doing well, Bob. It's always great to be with you and appreciate you always speaking the truth. I would love to have seen some Renacy Knopp shirts in a Republican rally. Um, it wasn't allowed. Um, I know you were there. You were shaking hands. You were meeting people. You were generating support along with Mr. Renacy. And you guys, I know there were volunteers there who were ready to put up all kinds of signage and, and, and hand out things that people could wear. And it was not allowed. Joe, can you, can you shed any, any light on, uh, on, on what went down on Saturday and why you think it was? 
Well, I can definitely say there were a ton of Renacy Knopf supporters out there, as you can imagine. But uh, evidently, when it got closer to the camera area, that uh, uh, Paducek and the ORP, I guess, asked them to not show uh, anything with Renacy on it, and which is also interesting that uh, of all the statewide endorsed candidates that came across the stage that night, you know, DeWine was never mentioned once. Even though he was an endorsed candidate in 2018, he definitely did not get an endorsement this year. Well, yes and no, uh, Joe. And this is what I'm very frustrated by. If the President of the United States, or the former President of the United States, comes, comes to a rally in a state with a highly contested governor's race, particularly with a very unpopular Republican governor, and the President doesn't even address it, it to me is a tacit de facto endorsement of Mike DeWine. Um, because he could very well have said, you know, this is not how we want the state of Ohio to be run. Uh, and there's a great guy out there, Jim Renacy, who might be the, the answer to the, he could have done something by saying nothing and by then praising Bob Paduchik. And you just pointed it out. Uh, you know, he engineered the endorsement of, uh, of Mike DeWine in the state central committee uh, meeting. Uh, they have supported DeWine every step of the way. You just pointed out that they turned away, uh, merchandise and, and, and signage and shirts and so forth that said Renacy. So by Trump praising Paducic, he is essentially de facto praising and endorsing Mike DeWine, is he not? Well, it's a great question that, uh, I truly believe in, in, in a week from now that we will get a, uh, Trump endorsement at the end of, uh, May 3rd at probably about 10 o'clock that night. But like in that. the meantime, uh, we will uh, just continue to push through the finish line. And I, with the amount of our Navy supporters that were there at that rally, I think, uh, the numbers are looking uh, definitely favorable on our side. I, I I hope so. I really do. Uh, I, 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 I've been just made it my mission over the last several, well, really the last two years since Mike DeWine decided to destroy the state of Ohio's economy, uh, destroy the liberty of Ohio workers, decide which of those are essential and which of those are not, uh, crushing students' ability to learn. All, everything that was done, I have been saying, we've got to get rid of this guy, and I have been looking for a way to do that, and the way to do that is Jim Renacy, and Jim Renacy and Joe Knopp, and I'm very frustrated that that endorsement hasn't come from Donald Trump, and that again, in, in, in fact, by taking a very weak-willed coward's way out and not saying anything about the race at all, I think it benefits Mike DeWine, uh, uh, you know, as does Bob Paducic. So, I, I, I know it's a it's a it's a very frustrating thing to hear, but um, you know, I think I think Donald Trump owes Jim Renacy because Jim Renacy was going to run for governor and probably win as governor in 2018 when he voluntarily stepped aside at the request of the Trump White House to, to and said, we need you to take Sherrod Brown out of Washington. Jim did that, put aside his own personal goal of being the leader of the state of Ohio, and uh, and now one would think that Trump would be sensitive to that, and he seems to, to not be. Well, Bob, as a filmmaker and as a storyteller, I this story is going to be so much better in a week from now when the Ohio voters choose Renacy to be their next governor without endorsements from out of state. What really matters in the end is who do Ohioans want to be their next governor. And everywhere we go, they are sick and tired of DeWine and his rhino actions. And everywhere we go, they're excited for Renacy to take over this state. And in the end, that's the story that I'd rather be told anyway, that the Ohio voters are the ones who chose Renacy to be their governor.
I love the optimism, and you need to be. You know, I'm I'm going to sit here and be pessimistic and angry when I think things aren't being done that need to be done for the state of Ohio, which is to get Jim Renacci into office. I really believe that. Uh, but you have to be optimistic and positive, and I respect that. Uh, Jim uh, tweeted, or not tweeted, excuse me, Facebook posted this morning that he showed up to debate Mike DeWine with the Cleveland Plain Dealer editorial board and that neither DeWine nor uh, any other opponents bothered to show up. What does that tell you, the fact that DeWine has run a campaign of fear and cowardice and literally is just not even addressing Jim Renacci, won't won't engage him in a debate, won't engage him in any way whatsoever? Well, I think it means he just got the same playbook from his friend uh, Joe Biden. It's exactly what Biden did during the 2020 campaign. And he saw it work for Biden. I think he's optimistic that's going to work for him. But like I said, I think we're going to soon find out that that's not going to work in Ohio. Ohio voters are too smart for that. Yeah, I, I hope that's the case. But you're right. It is very, very similar. Just kind of staying in the basement and hoping that his name will carry him through in this case. And uh, and I certainly hope that is not the case. Um, can you do something for me, Joe? I, I need, We're talking to Joe Knopp, who is the candidate for lieutenant governor running alongside Jim Renacci. Um. Every time I engage support, certain supporters uh, um, of other people in this race, including and especially the big hat, uh, the, the, the supporters say Renacci is nothing but DeWine 2.0. Renacci is just like DeWine. He's another establishment guy. He's not a true constitutional conservative. The big hat is the constitutional conservative. And, and I've known Jim Renacci a little bit for a while, and I've been interviewing him on a professional level for probably seven years. Um, I know that to not be the case. How do, how would you define it, and how do you respond to those people who say Jim Renacci is just more of the same? If you don't have a beard and a cowboy hat and a farm, apparently, then you're all establishments. Look, I'm a movie guy, and uh, the big hat guy, you know, I would consider maybe if I was doing a Western, putting him in the movie as an extra. We don't allow extras to speak. Uh, you know, their whole campaign is just going, all they have is to say that Jim Renacci um, you know, has experience in politics. And by the way, I want my pilot to have some experience. I want my leader to have some experience. And with the, with the hat guy, unfortunately, he has people uh, kind of believing uh, that he is going to be the answer. But he's not even a cowboy. He's not a farmer. It's very disappointing that there's people uh, just supporting him at the level they are. Yeah, it it is for me too, and I, I think he's got a lot of people bamboozled into thinking that he's you know Kevin Costner, you know that he's John Dutton in, in, in an episode of uh, of uh, Yellowstone, and uh, it, it's not, it's it's not the same thing at all. And um, it, but more specifically, I want to talk about Jim though, um, and and again the allegation that he is more like DeWine. Um, because I've heard Jim articulate positions that are the polar opposite of Mike DeWine's as it pertains to not only handling a pandemic, but also handling an economy, handling uh, things like our education system, CRT, social-emotional learning, and uh, boys and girls sports, and all of the things that are so important in this culture war that our whole country is in that certainly directly impacts everybody here in the state of Ohio. I have heard him say, I will do the exact opposite of the things Jim Renacci has done, or excuse me, that Mike DeWine has done. Um, here's a, is, is, here's that, the is that difference. message resonating? Here's the biggest difference, Bob. Mm-hmm. I've been with uh, uh, Renacci for the past year, and he's been throughout Ohio for the past three years listening to Ohioans, working with universities, doing studies of what do Ohioans want now? What are the main issues in Ohio? DeWine, it was 45 years ago, I believe, when he was out with the people. A lot has changed since 1976. 
Uh, he is so disconnected from the Ohio families today. And that's what makes Renaissance so popular today. He is aware of the issue that Ohioans are concerned about, and that, that's why he has a plan to combat all of it. Yeah, and and I and I'm really glad to hear that. I hope that message get, gets out there, Joe. We're talking to Joe Knob. Um, Joe, you of course are a well-known filmmaker, and and perhaps most known or best known for the movie Unplanned, which my wife and I saw in the theater, which was uh, simply just an amazingly emotional, you know, uh, type of type of movie. And and you know, of course, Abby Johnson's conversion from Planned Parenthood clinic director to one of the loudest and most prolific pro-life. Uh, advocates in the uh, in the country. You're going to be with her tonight, right? I will. Abby's coming to town. She'll be a Scioto County uh, Right to Life uh, event. She's speaking there, so I'm always uh, excited to hang out with Abby. Abby is such a dynamic personality, dynamic leader, and her story, uh, her ability to tell her story has literally saved thousands and thousands of babies around this uh, world, actually. And she has helped so many women and men who have uh, been involved with abortion just to help them see that there is redemption and that God can still love them. Well, her actions clearly are going to, you know, have saved thousands and thousands of babies. There's no doubt about that. But she's going to save a lot more because her story was told. Um, how do you feel about that? How does that? Where does that rank for you among career achievements? The fact that you made a movie that allowed her story to be told and thus reach, you know, millions of people that may not have known about her otherwise. You know, we were just being obedient to what we really felt like God wanted us to do. That's been the story of my life one day at a time. You know, the, the results are up to God. But it is uh, um, emotional when we get the texts and the emails and from really all around the world that has uh, changed. That story has changed someone's life. But that's why we need to be involved in entertainment. That's why you're involved in media, because we still have this opportunity to impact people. We cannot run and hide. So when Elon Musk buys Twitter, and I hope that it is going to be the, the free speech we want it to be, we need to be there. We need to be involved as believers, as conservatives, and uh, not let the left own these markets. Very well said. Yeah, and, and you do. You need to get out there. There's very few people in Hollywood that are willing to tell stories like this. So to have filmmakers like you who go out there and do it and and live it, you know, and, and walk it and don't just talk it is really a... Uh, it's a pleasure to see. It's a great thing to see. So I'm glad you're with Jim and AC. Um, do me a favor. Give me give me 30 seconds. Pretend you're on a debate stage. Give me the, the closing pitch for Renacy Knopp uh, for Ohio governor. Renacy Knopp are both businessmen. We are faith-filled men who are not hypocritical. We have always lived out our faith. We have been involved fighting for our causes for decades now, and now we have an opportunity to lead the state back to the way it needs to be. And please, May 3rd, come out and vote for Renee C. Knopp. Uh, we are excited to be your new governor and lieutenant governor. Joe Knopp, I wish you the very best, along with Jim, in this race. I hope uh, God touches the heart of Ohioans and lets, uh, lets them see what needs to be done here to protect uh, all life, innocent lives, uh, whether they're born or unborn, and that uh, the best quality of life can be achieved for Ohioans who have suffered and struggled mightily under the leadership of, if you can call it that, of, uh, of, uh, of Mike DeWine. Joe Knopp, thank you so much for coming on. Best of luck, and we'll talk to you again down the line. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I think I, I, I just got a note here. I misunderstood Jim's post. 
Uh, uh, DeWine did show up for that one, for the Cleveland Plain Dealer editorial board. He did not show up to any of the debates. As you know, debate commissions and other things were set up uh, in which Mike DeWine declined to attend and go face-to-face and nose-to-nose with Jim Renacci. But he did show up for the Cleveland Plain Dealer editorial board. Uh, The other two opponents did not show up. That's what Renacci tweeted about, or uh, posted about, rather. Uh, Of course, speaking of uh, the hat and... uh, the invisible Ron Hood, who's not really running a campaign at all other than in name. So there you go. That's the latest. Uh, Joe Knopp is, uh, I think, a solid guy and a very spiritual and, I think, a very uh, sincere guy in his desire to help Jim Renacci help the people of the state of Ohio. And I hope the people of the state of Ohio understand that when they go to vote. All right, quick time out here. It's 1124, Always Right Radio, right back. Eleven twenty-six now, AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Thanks for being with us. Thanks again to Joe Knopp, Lieutenant Governor candidate. <clears throat> After the bottom of the hour news, I'm going to share with you uh, the audio of the movie trailer for Two Thousand Mules that I've been telling you about. Dinesh D'Souza's new movie, which exposes with video evidence gathered from True the Vote. The complete election fraud perpetrated on the American people in this presidential election of 2020. And the reason I'm going to let you hear that uh, audio is because subpoenas now, Georgia election regulators have issued four subpoenas demanding the identity of a John John Doe whistleblower and other evidence concerning the alleged ballot trafficking operation in the 2020 election. This is a huge escalation. The subpoenas are asking the Election Integrity Group True the Vote and its researchers to turn over the identities of the ballot harvesters from 2020 ballot, the 2020 ballot trafficking operation that is featured in the movie uh, 2,000 Mules. So you're going to want to hear this. If you've not been made aware of that movie, uh, you need to listen after the bottom of the hour news. I'm going to play that audio for you. Uh, and then I'll remind you of how you can get your tickets to go and see 2,000 Mules to really, truly understand the depth of the fraud that was committed in that election. It's that important. Uh, TJ's in Cleveland. Hey, TJ, go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, what concerns me in this primary, all of us are at each other's throat about who we're going to support. The Mandel people hate Vance. Uh, the Gibbon, uh, Gibbons people hate uh, Mandel. You know, if we don't come together and get behind one single candidate, I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to go into this primary, and this vote's going to be split three, maybe four different ways. And in the meantime, the Democrats are going to flood across our primary. They already got Ryan in place. They don't have to vote in the primary there. They're going to select our candidate with their votes. And they're going to do the same thing in the gubernatorial election. Uh, if these Blackstone people don't get behind Renacci, they're going to come in our primary they're going to pour votes into DeWine, and he's going to win that race. We can't let them decide who our candidates are going to be. Now, some of us are going to have to hold our nose, maybe, and support one single candidate. Uh, I, I personally like all three of them, Gibbons, uh, Mandel, uh, Vance, I'm not so sure. But I will say one thing, and I said it before. I agree with Trump on this. I think Vance has the best chance of defeating them only because of the money. And he's going to be able to pull the kind of money that Ryan's going to have supporting him. 
Uh, Gibbons, Mandel, I'm not so sure they can put up that kind of money. But it's time for us to quit fighting, come together, and get behind one single candidate and stop them from controlling our primary. TJ, I appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Um, <clears throat> primaries are all about fighting, though. That's the thing, you know. It's all about fighting so that the best man uh, or woman, the the survivor of that primary, is the very best chance to beat the Democrat. And uh, nobody's going to come behind one guy until there's only one guy to come behind, and that's after the nomination. And I will say this, you know, I was that way in the presidential election 2020, or excuse me, 2016. You know, I was for Ted Cruz, and there were others that I would be for before I would ever get to Donald Trump. I didn't get to Donald Trump until he won the nomination. When he was going to be the nominee, he's like, okay, now we come together behind our guy. And hopefully people will indeed put aside their like or dislike for certain candidates in this uh, Senate race that you're talking about uh, when a nominee is decided on May 3rd and come behind whoever the winner is. Hopefully that will be the case. That's what I will endeavor to get everyone to do. A little different, by the way, in the uh, governor's race. Because if Mike DeWine wins that primary, I will not get behind him. I will not get behind him any way, shape, or form. I would rather have a Democrat run my state into the ground and take the blame for it than let Mike DeWine run my state into the ground and have my party take the blame for it. I will not get behind him any way, shape, or form. That's a different issue, though. Thank you, TJ. We'll take a quick time out for news. We'll come back. I'm going to tell you more. I'll get more calls, but I'm going to tell you more about 2,000 mules and the latest, of, the latest development there about the election fraud of 2000. Stay here. Okay, it's 11.38, so I want, to, uh, I want to share this with you. <clears throat> Before we're done, don't forget O'Reilly. We'll take it home to the top of the hour in just a few here. Um, when I play this trailer for you, it's about three minutes, you're going to hear some familiar voices. You're going to hear the voices of Larry Elder and of Dennis Prager and of Charlie Kirk, and that's because this movie is produced in part by the Salem Media Group, executively produced, in fact, by Salem Media Group. 2,000 Mules is directed and narrated by filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza. And again, Salem has produced it. So you're going to hear some voices. Obviously, it's a movie trailer, so you know, you're going to have to do the best you can here. But I think the audio is worth it. I do. Because they describe in minute detail here, even in the trailer, the images that I will be seeing as I play this for you. And that is the images. These are the images of a presidential election being stolen. What you're about to hear and that I'm about to see is the presidential election being defrauded. Listen, please. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. Let me say it again. The 2020 election was the most secure election in American history. 
Let me begin by asking a very simple question. Do we know the truth about what really happened in the 2020 election? I think millions of Americans know something went wrong, and they have little pieces, and no one's really put it together. I'm agnostic on this question, and I, I am awaiting more information. If I believed the president were a Nazi, I might steal an election. Bold accusations require bold evidence, and they haven't seen it. We have been working on something big. Show me the money. Can we meet? I've been working with Greg Phillips. He has a deep background in election intelligence. True the Vote has the largest store of election intelligence for the 2020 elections in the world. No one has more data than we do. We identified in Atlanta 242 mules that went to an average of 24 drop boxes. But Philadelphia alone, we've identified more than 1,100 mules. What is a mule? Person picking up ballots and running them to the drop boxes. This is not grandma walking her dog. Bad backgrounds, bad reputations. They are interested in one thing, that's money. And in no shape, in no way, in no time, is that legal. This is organized crime. Do you have video evidence? Four million minutes of surveillance video around the country. What you're about to see is disturbing. So this is uh, 1 o'clock in the morning. Don't we all vote at 1 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> On one night, this person, this mule, went across six counties to 27 different drop boxes. I call it the Mexican Mafia, seriously, because uh, they, they work like that. This is jaw-dropping. What you showed is frightening. It's just sickening to me. Now we come to the most important question of all. Was the magnitude of vote trafficking enough to tip the balance in the 2020 presidential election? It's not a leap to say this would have made a difference. They have ruined Election Day in the United States of America. That's provable. And that's enough for me to fight the left with every fiber in my body. Without free and fair elections, we are not a democracy. We are a criminal cartel masquerading as a democracy. 2,000 mules. In select theaters, May 2nd and 4th. Yeah, and a reminder, by the way, if you want to go see that in select theaters, May 2nd and May 4th next week, you have to buy your tickets at 2000mules.com. 2000 is not spelled out, it's numbers, 2000mules.com. Now, why did I share this with you now? Why did I share with you the story of all of these mules on video camera being watched driving from one drop box to another, one ballot drop box to another, cheating, stealing, and delivering illegal votes. Because apparently the state of Georgia is aware, and the state of Georgia is demanding answers. Subpoenas, Georgia election regulators have subpoenaed now um, the group True the Vote, which is who did most of the research that had all of this evidence of thousands of mules changing or delivering Lord knows how many votes. And as Dinesh D'Souza te- teases there, you know, how many would it take to completely change the results of the election, depending on the locations, right? So the state of Georgia has subpoenaed, issued four subpoenas demanding the identity of the ballot harvesters from this ballot trafficking operation. Uh, delivered late last week to the election integrity watchdog, True the Vote, its founder, Catherine Engelbrecht, who's going to be on with me 
at some point here in the next few days. We're also going to talk to Dinesh D'Souza, uh, the filmmaker who put this all together in the next few days, uh, and, uh, and the researchers, the subpoena-seek evidence that back up the complaint alleging that as many as 242 people illegally gathered third-party votes during the battleground state's November 2020 election and subsequent U.S. Senate races, according to documents obtained by Just the News under state records requests. That's just Georgia. 242 individuals. The name of the movie is 2,000 Mules because they have that many that they have evidence of playing a role in this and stealing votes. It's that serious, and I guess we'll talk more about it tomorrow. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.